I definitely get kicks of looking at my CV or things that I've done and go like, whoa, I've had a, I've had a good run, all things considered, you know, no GCSEs, no A-levels, and then to go like, I have got this far. I think if you'd asked my old school teachers, they probably would have gone, yeah, I don't think he's going to amount to much. Attitudes are beginning to change. A stigma surrounding dyslexia. Muddled messages were received the by the brain. Dyslexia. It will not hold your back. Dyslexic, it's kind of your super. Anything is dyslexic. Dyslexia. Hello, we are Move Beyond Words and welcome back to another episode of our podcast sponsored by Arts Council England. I'm Elizabeth Riffian. And I'm Charlotte Edmonds. In this episode, we chat with actor Michael Parr. Michael rose to fame through his portrayal of the infamous Ross Barton in ITV's Emmerdale. We talk about his experiences in the world of film and television, the challenges of being a dyslexic actor and how to embrace your strengths and support others. Welcome, Michael Parr, to the Move Beyond Words podcast. You're nervous around public speaking because I've watched quite a few interviews of you talking and you're so eloquent. Mm. Well, I appreciate you saying, using the word eloquent to do, because that is one, never one word I would use to describe me as I just butchered that sentence. <laughs> like, um, We're all doing it. But no, it's, and when I say public speaking, I mean, it's not the conversation. It's more when I know I've got to, like, I had to go back to my old drama, uh, my old high school, sorry. And they wanted me to give like a motivational talk or, you know, like just, you know, say if I can do it, anybody can and try and encourage and motivate mm. the students. And as I got up there, my foot was rattling. Oh, I'd had man. loads of jokes prepared and I was just butchering them. And then I was like look at, looking down at my, you know, like the speech that I had written and then I would look up and then I couldn't, you know, I I couldn't find now where I was. So I was like, right, I'm just going to freestyle it. But then I was like, I know I'm missing beats and forgetting it. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse. I don't think anybody else no, knew just, that, but yeah. it, in my head. Yeah. That, and I'm, I'm awful at... Um, sitting down and preparing I am I put everything off to the last minute I don't know why I just I can't sit there and focus on things you know I'll I'll do about two lines and then I'm daydreaming again or I'm thinking about something else or I'm writing and thinking about something else even at um, my best friend's wedding I didn't write the speech until the morning of the thing of the wedding and then still I ended up like just freestyling and, and going for it which is really risky because, you know, it was being recorded and it was the most important day of his life. It was the most important day of my life. And um, I was like, I don't want to be that guy that, you know, ruins the best man speech. But I just couldn't seem to sit down and I had to like write little notes. I couldn't write it down and, you know, word for word because I knew then I would be like glued to the thing shaking and that's not cool. Yeah. So Actually, I can totally relate to the improvised or off, off the cuff way of speaking because... I find that sometimes when we're speaking about our events or or something and I do write it down, I do, I just have flashbacks from school. And like you said, like every aspect of your body is just nervous and your monkey brain is just, you were sort of describing just then it's the internal thinking that mm-hmm. is even more detrimental, really. And probably from the exterior, you're absolutely fine. But it's actually the kind of the experience that is happening internally that kind of just plays with you a little bit. I think the writing it down beforehand is very important important anyway, yes. just to getting the words down in the story because that's just, it's like a rehearsal for mm. later. So you might not read it then, but I think if you have ever got to do anything, writing it down will definitely, and then reading it back, you know, you'll probably miss out loads of words being dyslexic or you write what you thought you wrote. 
Does that make sense? Or yeah, you know, totally. you you write it down and then you read it back and you're like, I didn't write that. Like that's not what I meant <laughs> to say. So I don't know how I wrote that. Oh, I hear that. That's a good rehearsal for going through it for later on. I I think mm. that's something that I I find is it, I would always write my monologues down if I had to. You know, my audition speeches. I was always writing it down word for word because it's just a different way of seeing the seeing the words. The worst thing I can ever get when I book an acting job is be off book by day one and it's just like I just don't learn that way I learn by just repping it going over it and hearing it and seeing it like me learning the lines I could read it a hundred times and only learn 25 out of a hundred words whereas if I like did a a run of the words with another person I probably learn 80% of them rather than you know giving me 10 days to learn a monologue it's just not gonna it's just not the way I pick things up Yeah, it's it's interesting how everyone has their own methods. And I used to use colours and highlighters and I'd connect them to emotions. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. how do you, is it just repetition or do you have any other ways of letting that sink in? I had a teacher at school and um, I knew I was dyslexic. I think the teachers were aware, but you know, there wasn't necessarily loads of uh, techniques that the teachers knew to help people with dyslexia. They didn't know loads about it. And I remember telling a, a science teacher, I was like, I, I said, I, I'm dyslexic. And she gave me like, a, you know, like a blue piece of film, oh, you yeah, know, to put yeah. over my mm-hmm. thing. And she slid it over my paper. And then she was like, there you go. You know, gave me like a wink as if to say, like, you're cured. <laughs> wow. And then it just made no difference to me. Like the colors, the highlighting thing. I've heard other dyslexic people say that's a technique for them, but it, that just doesn't work for me. Yeah. And Charlie, you've got your glasses. Yeah, they're really cool. <laughs> I don't know why you don't wear them. I think it's because of school. I think it's because, like, you know, you, this is fine as Can an adult. Can I see you with them on? Oh, no. <laughs> this is, they I'm look go great. Red. No, they're cool. I'm going to take <laughs> no, they a picture are cool. right no, now. <laughs> That's cruel, isn't it? Can I take a picture right now? Yeah, go on then. Because <laughs> they look great. And what, do you, what difference do you feel like you see in yourself? Yeah, I feel the page is it's just so much more inviting mm-hmm. to, to read. And I got them a couple of years ago and they're, they're quite expensive. So I had to really save up. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, I just sort of had, you know, those kind of I have my first glasses when they're so tiny, you know, they're little diddy things. And then I had like blue tinted ones um, and green. And now I've transitioned into orange. And I think your eyes do adjust naturally, obviously, right, okay. over time. But this color just really It's weird because it looks so concentrated and fluorescent on Mm. my face. But actually, when you see through um, through the kind of layers, they it it just calms it. Which is funny because I feel like when you're in school, you're asked the question, "Oh, do the do the letters jumble around the page?" or and you're sort of shown these effects that happen. And I suddenly was over analyzing what was really going on. But actually, it's just as simple as that enables me to read this and I can get much more done. Oh, right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I was, I think I was expecting like an eye to be on the top of the right hand of the page, mm-hmm. but I think it just felt quite uneven. Um, I'm imagining like a sketch, you know, you see those videos of like, it'll be a baby in a hospital and it'll have like a hearing aid turned on and then it hears its mom for the first time. Have yeah. you ever mm-hmm. seen those videos? Yeah. Or yeah, like yeah. when they give the colorblind <laughs> people the glasses and they see colour and they see the colour of their baby's eyes and it's really emotional for them. I'm imagining a sketch where a dyslexic person puts it on and now can read read all around them <laughs> like this magic cure. 
I wish it was like that. I don't think it would be like that for me because I've I've tried using the different layers of of color. But I think that's the crazy thing about dyslexia is that there is no one thing that's like sorts us all out. There's what works for you isn't necessarily going to work for me. It's it's a very unique. I don't know what is that. How what what category condition. does this? Le- yeah. Would you say conditions? Well, I don't or... know because I've I've my friend told me about there is an actor. I don't know who he is who is dyslexic and. He says he has a disability. A disability. And I said, we have a learning difficulty. I think there's a big difference between having a disability and a learning difficulty, although I'm not entirely sure how I would define it and mm. un- separate them. But I, I said when I heard him, heard that someone was saying dyslexia is a disability, I was like, I'm not so sure. It's classed as a disability, yeah. as, you know, in by government mm-hmm. Um whatever (laughs) the thing by the thing and it's a dyslexic person trying to explain yeah yeah. Yeah, as a disability i mean we're called move beyond words and it's hilarious that this podcast is is just us trying to talk yeah the irony (laughs) trying being the the key word so i hope you're still tuning in guys (laughs) we're trying but the um the thing classes it as a as a disability it does, it does come under but that. I would agree with you like I think it just felt you know, very strong it is know? a learning difference yeah I would rather yeah. it be defined as a learning difference rather mm. than a disability because I think that takes away in my opinion from people who really are struggling with you know disabilities that makes day-to-day things much much harder but also the word disability like I think is such a negative it's got yeah. such a negative connotation and and I know people who do have what people would class as a disability and even they don't like the word because mm-hmm. we all have ability and even if you have a physical disability there are ways in which you have huge abilities because of that that what people would class as a disability so there's like a huge conversation yeah. there that even that word disability for anyone I think is quite disempowering. Yeah. Um, because yeah, we we all have an ability in some capacity. And that makes me think about like where you see your abilities, you know, with dyslexia, where does it support you in in thriving? I don't feel like it's ever held me back after leaving education. Mm. I think I have a definitely a unique perspective and view of the world and seeing things I think um I find comical things a lot easier I find the comedy in things a lot easier I see like the the humor in things I don't know if that's got to do with um I think dyslexia has has shaped my whole life because the education system in in the UK and probably all around the world is very much geared to reading and writing for your first 10 years Mm. and I absolutely day-to-day stank the place out when it came to reading and writing and then so I was just told no it's wrong you're doing it wrong and then I think that's got to shape your personality if like for however many what seven hours a day you go to school and just being told like no you're wrong and then you don't want to get up and do things so I became the class clown because I was like I'm not I can't do what everybody else is doing but I get attention when I make everybody else laugh. And I was no, I was never classed as naughty. I wasn't a bad kid, but I was certainly someone that you didn't want me near the high achievers. And my mum's dyslexic, and, and it, this is her joke, but I'll use my, my name. 
for years, I thought my name was Michael Parr Move because I was always being told to move. Uh, Michael Parr Move. So I was like, oh, I thought that was my name because it was always, you know, that was, that was always something I wanted to do in class was just talk to people and make them laugh. And there was kids in my class that, you know, when you do your sats in year nine, they were getting like grade eights. And I was still getting the grades that a kid in year six should get when I was in year nine. So to have me in the same room as them was preposterous to a, to a teacher. So I was in all the top sets when I first got to school. And then I asked, I was like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about in science. I don't think I should be in this class. And then got moved and moved myself down. And then when I was in the lower sets, I was like, ah, but I'm not like these kids either. I wasn't fitting in with like the clever kids or the bottom set kids you know I was obviously I wouldn't I don't want to say brighter like I'm I'm better but I was brighter than the these kids I couldn't learn things the way that the the high achievers could until I found drama I didn't mind making a clown of myself and I think that was because I was I was already making a clown of myself when I was trying so I was never afraid to be laughed at and I'm still not afraid. I don't care if I get it wrong. I was like, I've been getting it wrong my whole life. I'm just going to have a go. If, if, if I get it wrong, so what? I think with acting, there is no right or wrong. It's a process of elimination to finding what's the best way to do it. And that's one, one thing I'm willing to do is just go, I'll just try it until I get it right. I think that kind of is what life is about. I remember being in a science class once and the teacher did an experiment and he took the experiment outside and physicalized it. Mm -hmm. And like instantly I got it and I was so engaged. And it's like those moments, if our teachers could just look at a different way of teaching people with dyslexia, it doesn't mean to say that you can't have a career in science or maths or English, but we have to be taught in a way that works for us yeah. and that's inclusive. And so many do go on to drama and singing and acting because it is inclusive for people with dyslexia. And you're on your feet as well. You're yeah. not just staring at and text you're moving. all. Yeah, exactly. It's Michael Parr move. <laughs> I mean, that's a brand. There's a it brand there. A brand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can have your own dance company. There's a video online. It's this kid in America, and he just gets up and walks out of a class, and he starts shouting at the teacher. And basically he's saying like this teacher is just opening textbooks and being like, you know, and writing on the chalkboard and writing it out. And he gets up and he's like, there's kids in here who don't learn like that, man. If you want them to learn, you've got to get up. You've got to get into their heart. You've got to be passionate about this thing. And yeah. as soon as a teacher that I saw that was on their feet and was walking around and was making it, you know, a bit Gaging. more fun. I was I was there, but if you just opened the book and was just like, oh gosh! And on the seventh day, John the Baptist, I was like, I'm out, dude. Like th this class <laughs> so, yeah. sucks. And then that's when I would become disruptive. It's boredom, isn't it? As well, we were we were having a conversation last night with someone about boredom, and for some people, boredom is just something that you experience. But for me, I genuinely am pained by it. It's mm -hmm. I could really relate to what they were saying last night because I think I I have ADHD as well. So I, c I can't sit still. Yeah. Please don't tell me to sit still for, for more than an hour because I will go crazy. Unless it's emotive in some capacity, then I, I'm there. Do you think you could go and watch like two hours of TED Talks though? Or would that be? Yeah, if, it, if it's emotive, if I'm mm -hmm. feeling something. But like a church mass, an Irish if Catholic singing, church mass. I mean, if they're singing, you know, I'm into it. That's what I always say. I was like, because <laughs> yeah, I've got some Jamaican friends and they would go to church and it was a lot more 
singing involved. And I was like, I probably would be religious if, <laughs> if I went to that church, but I didn't. I went to the Irish Catholic Church and, you know, they were just moaning at you all the time. When did you first decide to chase a career on screen and did you ever have any insecurities due to your dyslexia? Good question. The chasing uh, a career on screen actually came really late into my uh, career and it was nothing to do with being dyslexic. It was the fact that I had a pretty crummy agent. I wasn't getting auditions, so I started doing like a lot of fringe theatre because I was trying to invite agents and casting directors to come and see me. And I was doing all these plays and then, I, you know, I would meet a casting director and I would be trying to sell myself and I'd be like, oh, did you see me in this play at the Oval House? And they were like, no. And I'd be like, oh, because I did this play at Oval House and then I was dead good, you know, <laughs> and I, you couldn't, I couldn't sell myself on it. So I was like, I'm not doing any more theatre. I'm just going to start doing short films so I can, you know, I can piece together a show reel. So I don't think it had anything to do with me being dyslexic. Yeah. But as far as insecurities with dyslexia around being on screen, not really because you get the script so far in advance. The only thing that is quite torturous is if there's rewrites and then they're mm. given to you on set and, you know, you've got people on boom, lighting, electricians, other actors, first ADs, second ADs, directors, everybody all watching you. And you're holding this paper and you're meant to be saying it with passion and in character. And all you're thinking is like, I don't know like what these words are. And also I'm terrible at, and it could be an, e an ego thing. I never read like the stage directions. I only want to know what I've got to say. Right. So I'm never listening out for my cues. I'm like always thinking about my performance. And then it'll be like, I'm always cutting the other actors off because I'm just, you know, and that's a sign of, a, of bad acting actually, because I'm not actually listening to what the other actor is saying but I'm just it's because I'm so nervous about getting my lines right that I didn't really have time to focus on what theirs, on what theirs was which is a big part of it you need to know your cues I'd say knowing your cues is just as important but I didn't have time to worry about what they were saying it's just like I just need to know like knowing the words is one thing but knowing them and telling your mouth I think there is a certain delay sometimes I trip over my words quite a lot and I think that's because I know the words but there is like a bit of a discommunication between my mouth and my brain. So sometimes when I'm saying something for the first time, but I haven't got my mouth around the words, I f f f f like that all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if that's dyslexia. Wow. I'd love to, I would love to know. Yeah. And if anyone does know. <laughs> yeah. Let us know. Yeah. And maybe please. I'll become a good actor. <laughs> you're a great actor. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. I mean, you're, you do really sell yourself, don't you? <laughs> Speaking of your roles, you're infamous, which I had to really try and pronounce, by the way, <laughs> infamous, infamous role of Ross Barton on Emmerdale. <laughs> so well known. How did you approach that character? Well, it was, a it was a long audition process. I'd always, for some reason, I'd always seemed to bag parts that were like the villains or crooked characters or Something like that. I think like my first two roles outside of drama school, I think like, I played like a rapist and a paedophile. <gasps> oh my. Yeah. And I was, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, in what, Mom, in what... check me out. I'm in this cool play as a rapist. <laughs> <laughs> no, these were on screen as well. Oh, like, no. So I was like, this is going to last forever. Everyone's going to be able to see me as this. I think with Ross, it, it, with soap acting, it's a really hard thing because you're, you're, you're in that character so much. So you don't want to go so far that you're spending more time as that person. So you need to find like some middle ground between who you are and who, what you want the character to be. 
So it's not like, you know, if I was doing a play and, you know, I'd probably work on physicality for ages because I'd only be doing it for two hours a day. But with Ross, I was in that character all, all the time. So it's a sort of a mashup between, you know, probably 20% Mike, 30% of other things that I've seen on screen that I'm always like seeing, you know, other actors do something. I was like, I got to try that. I'm going to get that into this, into this script somehow. And then 50% of, of Ross, the actual, you know, what's on the page. In terms of characterization and working with a wider team, we're always wondering, do you tell people that you have dyslexia? And if you do, how does that conversation support you in doing your job? I wouldn't say I've ever got any support. It's not like I'm getting my scripts a week earlier than everybody else or anything. It's just letting people know. Because I'm not ashamed. I've never been ashamed to, to tell people that. But then I was watching a video about it recently. And it was saying that there's only 3% of the population, or people asked rather, think that dyslexia isn't a problem. So 97% of the population hear that you're dyslexic and go like, ooh, that could be an issue. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, that's, that's worrying. But I'm never afraid to, to say, hey, I'm dyslexic. Just give me, give me five minutes. But also acting, especially on screen, there isn't a lot of time. You know, you've got to be ready to go. So it's about what you do before you get there because there's just no excuses really you know if anybody else was showing up with an excuse i'd be like come on man you should have done the work long before you got here if you're doing the work on set mm. you, you've really been procrastinating i call it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. love that well that's something that i do i'm Are just i'm just i'm procrastinating <laughs> all the time there's loads that of things so i'm good. always right i'm writing this i'm writing that and then i get to the end of the day and it's just like yeah you did nothing again dude <laughs> mm. But the thing is, like you say, you know, there's no excuses. That's a thing in itself, right? Is dyslexia isn't and should never be an excuse. But I think this conversation and beyond is part of us changing the dialogue and people's opinions on what dyslexia really is. And, you know, there's so many different tendencies that come with dyslexia. It's not just about reading and writing. There's things around memory lapses, which I've demonstrated beautifully earlier on <laughs> in the episode. And, you know, processing speed and the way that we can see things in so many different angles and kind of see things playing out. There's just so much more to it that isn't talked about. And so I'm trying to be more conscious to share when I'm working with a new collaborator that I have dyslexia and this is how I do work. And it would be great if you could work with me on this and you know it's really simple things like please just bullet point in the email just keep the email short and you know just really quite small things but that makes a massive mm -hmm. difference to my day yeah yeah for sure the bullet pointing one is, is <laughs> yeah. a massive thing for me as mm -hmm. well lists massively help me you know writing yeah. things down and just seeing it in short little things i don't need full sentences because that just confuses it yeah with working in the UK and I know you're working in America as well. How different are things when it comes to dyslexia? You said you don't really want to use it as an excuse, but do you share it with some people? Does it feel appropriate with some casting directors to say, look, if you want to give me direction straight out of the bag, just let me have a bit more time to process it or anything like that? I wish I could say yes, but the the truth is I've never I've never felt it's been necessary to, right. to say that and also I just know how aggressive the in industry is as well mm. and there is a little bit probably 
I don't know if it's more in my head or if it's how people see things, but I don't want to, if I ask for that, then do I look like I'm on that, that I've given them more work to Mm, do? mm. So I think, you know, am I self-conscious about it or is it, is it the truth? Like if they're going to have to change something, then that's going to go against me. They'll be like, oh, he's the, he's the difficult one who needs to have things. And I'm like, I don't know, but also I've never felt the need to have anything different I would just say, don't let me sight read. I'm not coming Mm. into an audition if you're going to ask me to read on the spot. That might be something. But then in LA, we have very different audition processes over here. If you're doing an audition, if you're taping, you're off book. That's that, which lends itself when you're dyslexic to be off book. But in America, getting the auditions maybe 20 hours before I've got to be in there, and they'll say to you, oh, don't worry, you can read it. And I'll be like, hey, well, that doesn't help me. That, if anything, that's going to make it worse. I'd rather another 20 hours, double my time, and I'll be off book. But they don't like you being off book because they think it looks too much like the finished product and they want to know what they can work with and what you right. can offer. Whereas here, it's much, it's much more of a process of like, show, snap, this is what I've done and this is what I, re- I reckon I can do. So there are different processes over there. And I think I prefer the UKs. They've changed the regulations now because what usually happens with acting and auditions is you'll have nothing all week and then five o'clock on a Friday, an audition comes in and their attitude is like, well, you don't want it enough. So it's like, right, well, I'll give up my weekend to learn it. And they might give you like three page scenes to do by Monday morning. And, you know, that, that's a lot, that's a lot of text to, to get in, especially when I lived on my own for the last year. So I had no one to run it with. So I was just, you know, taping my lines, me saying the other lines, leaving a pause and having to build a conversation like that. That's the best way I can learn my lines. Cause if I just try and read them over and over and over again, I don't get anywhere. But back to your question, I think my dyslexia is, it's a lot harder as an actor being a dyslexic in the U S just because they want you to be reading it more but it does take the pressure off learning it because i get really stressed out when i see three scenes with three pages in due by monday and i get it on a friday that will really stress me out and then the stress i think stress really is detrimental to a dyslexic brain because it all you can focus on and then you'll you can't even get past the first speech so you keep working on that and then you're getting more and more stressed out and what i do find with tapes is that say i mean i've had like nine page scenes to to learn, you know, in, in like two days, you'll be doing your scene and you look just past the camera and I'll be like on page seven, I'll be saying the lines, but in my head is going, Oh my God, you're doing it. Oh. <laughs> and then, then, <laughs> and then, then, then the wheels start to, to go and you wobble in and then you're like, no, don't let it slip. And it's always the last line. You'll fluff it. And it'd be like, damn it. I've got to oh do it again. God. And then when you've got to do it again, you start messing up even earlier and even earlier. This is bringing and then you so many memories. Past, yeah. You get, can't get past the first page and it's a nightmare. I can't figure out if auditioning is better than self-taping because self-taping, there's not nowhere near as much pressure and stress yeah. on you because you're in your own space, but then you don't get to meet them, charm mm, them, see mm. what else you can do, listen to the direction. Because my philosophy is, is that you do it one way and then listen to the notes and then just do it a completely different way. So then at least at the very minimum, they know you're directable, yeah. you know, they, you're listening, but if they say more than three things, it's like, I don't know if you guys find, have you ever been lost and you ask someone for directions? Yes. yes. I listen to the first one and then I go, I'll ask somebody on, else when yeah. I get to that point. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I can't remember more than one one direction. <laughs> or I do it with my hands. Yeah, like try and get it in my body. <laughs> I've always say given someone directions, but the wrong direction, and then realised afterwards. You knew what and you And it's because I got the right and left wrong. I was like, oh, yeah, you turn left. And then I was like, oh, shh, it's right. <laughs> They're still I lost, I felt terrible. Charlie. Well, I had, my, I had my maps on to get here. And, you know, I used to live in Kentish Town, and I still um, walked past the McDonald's and took the left after ah. the McDonald's. And then I was looking at it, and I was like, then I have to, and then I'm turning round, but the, the blue dot turns a little bit the other way, and I was like, I, so I don't know if that's dyslexia or if I was just rubbish at geography or what, but maps are a, are a real... Well, that that is something, is directions, it's processing, right? Like it's our processing speed, which can be slower. Yeah. And yeah, like I, whenever I go to a new place, I have to add 15 minutes to my journey because I will get lost. Mm-hmm. It's just inevitable. But do you find your like visual memory for getting back is, I never get yeah, lost yeah. on the way back. Because I'm very aware of my surroundings. Yeah. I'd, I would love to, I wish there was like an app or a virtual simulation thing that could, you know, like, oh, what was that game where? The Sims, where you could have your character as you and then take the dyslexia out of it or put dyslexia into the character and just see what difference. Dif- what difference. Because I never <gasps> know when something. people say like, what's dyslexia been like for you? And I'm like, well, I only know what it's like for me because Mm. no one else can really describe it because I can barely describe my own dyslexia. I find it really hard when someone's like, what is dyslexia? And I was like, because the words don't bounce around on the page. I never get my BDs and Ps mixed up. I don't, you know, really struggle with reading that much. Although I do find when I'm, I can read a book but be daydreaming at the same time. Oh, yeah. So I'll get to the end of the page and I'll be like, I have no idea what I just read. (laughs) I'm reading a play at the minute that I've seen and I'm still reading it going like, what? What is going on? I have no idea. This is so wordy that I'm just reading it and going like, yeah, just turning the pages so I can say I've read it. I'm not really taking in the, the information. So I may as well just stop. Do you listen to audiobooks? I love them. Yeah, I think, find that they've been a massive help because mm. I, I would say it was only in the last three years that I've I've got into reading, but uh, audiobooks I'm always onto. But I love though I'm a sucker for motivational. Oh, me too. Books yeah. and you know learning about you mm. know, but they're getting more and more ridiculous. These motivational talks and you know these videos. I was listening to one the other day. I can't remember what his what his name is. Eric Thomas. He's a motivational speaker, American guy. And he was like, every day I am up at 2 a.m. in the gym. I was like, nobody gets up at 2 a.m., mate. That's still the night. <laughs> Go to bed. <laughs> like, I was like, they're getting more and more extreme about yeah. how you have to, like, you've got to do your bed, do like oh. everything you've got to do. But even with audiobooks, I can listen to it for 20 minutes and be like, what? I, I, I was daydreaming again. I haven't, like, I find it very inspiring. I find it really hard to write, which I like to do. I like to write scripts, write jokes, write comedy sets or whatever. But if I'm in a boring room, it goes. But if I'm on the tube, then the ideas come flowing in. I don't know if it's how I'm, I'm taking things in or seeing things oh, and going, yeah. that was weird. That's a joke. <laughs> or, but being in a, just a, a solitary, boring room is so bad for my concentration. But then if you put, you know, if there's something remotely entertaining, you know, I'm watching that more than doing it. It's, it's a hard life being dyslexic. It's a hard <laughs> it life. Is. Well, interesting. It is. Much more interesting. But I don't know. I don't you know don't because know I don't yeah. know what what it's, it's the like other side. Yeah. on the other side. 
what is the scale of dyslexic? Is it zero to 10? Is it mild and wild? Like, what are like, oh, his dyslexic? Wild. is that. wild. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you say when you're dyslexic? Because I think my mum is dyslexic, but she's a genius. She's a barrister and she's got an MBA in business. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and that's so much written and writing yeah. work. Uh, written and writing work, this is the same thing, whatever. <laughs> it's funny how we have to, <laughs> to, to be like that and be like, look, I have dyslexia and look at what I've done. Mm-hmm. Because it comes back to that classroom of, oh, you should be in bottom set. You shouldn't succeed. You, you've got this disability. You've got this barrier. But it almost gives us that grit in a way to be, or like the fact that you climbed Everest. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, say I know. climbed. I'd say I walked up a oh, steep hill to Everest Base Camp. But yeah, climbed Everest sounds a lot better. I don't think you did that because it was, you know, proving something to yourself or another accomplishment. I definitely get kicks of looking at my CV or things that I've done and go like, whoa, I've had a, I've had a good run. Can, you know, all things considered, you know, no GCSEs, no A-levels. And then to go like, I have wow. got the, I have got this far. I think if you'd asked my old school teachers, they probably would have gone, yeah, I don't think he's going to amount Oh, so, it's such so much. a shame that teachers especially oh I've let them all now don't worry I've, all, I've DM'd them all like remember me <laughs> look at me now but I don't know the, the Everest thing was just um, a chance to raise money for a charity that meant a lot to me and work with good people yeah but I don't know like does it change like does dyslexia has it changed my empathy for people that are struggling because I've struggled and then I'm on the other side of it going like oh I know what it's like to not be able to do something so you know, I, I want to, I'm very empathetic because, and I'm always wanting to, I always want the underdog to win. I always want, yeah. you know, I always, I'm going to sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet now, but I was, I was at a drama class the other night and as I was going home, my friend who's a vegan, I went, I'm going to go and get some food. And he went to me, you're not going to get Mackey's are you? And I was like, no, <laughs> absolutely. Straight <laughs> he's, into McDonald's. <laughs> and then I'm just on the tube. I sat down, I've got chocolate milkshakes and fries and I open the bag and a homeless person jumps on the carriage and he's like, has anybody got any any money? And I was like, no. And I just gave him the meal. I just thought, do you know what? I know what it's like to not have anything. So why don't you just take what I've got? Because I'm all right at the minute. And I think that's how I feel about other people. When they can't do things, I really want to help them out. So that's all that the, the uh, Everest thing was. And I didn't have to read for 14 days. So maybe it was a good break from uh, not reading scripts when I was at Emmerdale. On another note, it sounds like you approach things with a lot of humour, which is yeah. always really handy when you've got dyslexia. And we talk about some funny stories that have cropped up because dyslexia can be really unexpected. Like my mum asked me to put a shopping list together and instead of putting tights, I wrote tits. And it made her day. <laughs> and I, <laughs> Are there any funny moments or hard moments that you've shared with your family or friends? I remember being at school and... We were, I had a really high pitched voice at school and I didn't hit puberty till I was like 17. And I was singing a song for me. I don't me. know why that's funny. I don't know why I laughed. It is funny. It, it, it wasn't funny for me <laughs> at the just... time. It sucked. The girls <laughs> yeah, did bet. not want to know. We were singing a, a song sang by a woman in Miss Saigon and I could just nail every, every Love note. Love Miss Saigon. And there was a kid who was in my class who was learning music, you know, how to sight read music. And he, they were just like, okay, so you're going to sing and he's going to like, he's probably going to get through it really slowly. He's never seen the sheet music before. And he's, you know, he's trying to read the music 
and he's and play the piano and he's crushing it and I couldn't read the words, you know, because they're broken oh, up. Yeah. Last night I saw her sleeping, you know, like they break up the words and I couldn't read the English and he was reading music and playing the piano and nailing it and I was like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. No. Uh, um, it's so difficult. It's a real, like, It's skill. a problem online on, on Twitter and stuff. I always, like, write jokes I don't really do Love it much. Jokes. I don't I'm really do it much anymore because I find I was just getting in trouble or butchering them because you know I would t- tweet it, think it was funny, go back, and I'd be like five likes. That was well funny. I'm not having that, and then read it back, and I was like, yeah, it's because it doesn't make sense because it's not the joke. Like I know what the joke is in my head, but the joke that's on that tweet does not come across. I think the stupidest thing that's ever happened, and I don't think it was anything to do with dyslexia, but it it might be. There was an advert for a tea company and they had like, oh, you know, like a different cups of tea, like chamomile, peppermint, and one said full English. And I just went, how did they get a cup of tea to taste like a full English breakfast? I was like, there's like sausages, bacon. And then they were like, no, you idiot. It's a, and I was like, but I don't know if that's dyslexia or I think that not. is dyslexia. It could be. We often, I think I when like you see the shape it, of the word or you interpret things like differently, which is actually gorgeous when you think about it. And that's why people say there's a benefit to having dyslexia. I think that's what they're referring to when you say you see things differently. I think that's the only way I could describe it is like, I just don't have the same filter on that. I've got a different lens on. Exactly. Yeah. I love that different lens. But you used to work as a teaching assistant, right? Yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. Which was, you know, if you've ever heard of the expression, the blind leading the blind, <laughs> this was it when, when I was trying to teach them English. It was not a fun process. Oh, it, was, it was hard. I was going to say, did it change your perspective on education? or Because you were working with children who had different learning abilities. So did that change your relationship to your own learning? The first thing it did was, I think, I don't know if it was just being a guy, being dyslexic, being northern working class and living in London, but there was definitely a big chip on my shoulder that made me quite angry. And then I started working with these kids and I was like, oh, you guys have got it hard. You know, like you've got a global learning delay. Some had autism, Asperger's, you know, a whole host of different disabilities, learning difficulties. It just made me go, oh... And, you know, and some of them were bilingual. Most of my students were Bengali. Bengali. Out of interest, what school was it? It was a sixth form for um, Morpeth, a couple of other high schools, but then it was like the hub where they all right. came together for the sixth form. And it just kind of took the chip off my shoulder. It made me go, mm. oh, you guys have got it hard. You're being spoken to in three different languages to at home. We're trying to teach you English. You've got this learning difficulty. Sadly, oh most of you are very poor as well. And it just made me go, you know, I've got Can't it easy in, com- in comparison. And then me also teaching things to them really did help the penny drop. I think with a lot of things, yeah, if you have to teach something to somebody, you get a much more in-depth understanding. And I think I was very good. I had a head start over maybe the non-dyslexic TAs or teachers. You know, when they were describing something, I was very good at rearranging the sentence and then watching the kids go, oh, and I was like, yeah, it's, I can see it from their point. I can hear the, the broken up sentence that even though, it, you know, it was a beautiful sentence, I could hear how they were hearing it mm. and then go, this is what it, this is what it means. That's such an advantage. Yeah. And that's a real skill. 
that's a way of you seeing your dyslexia as a, a real strength there, I hope. Yeah, it, it felt it felt like a, it was a good thing. And, you know, sadly, the, the whole high school thing is is lacking in males as as well so i think you know there was i think i came in as like a bit of a role model and it was good it was a good being dyslexic made them go oh but well he's done okay and he's dyslexic so there is hope for us there though you know there was a lot of different things i become so cool. very friendly with the, with a lot of them mm. as as well so it wasn't just i think i was more of a mentor than an actual teacher that's so cool that's yeah, really cool. I, I do miss that. I miss that job. Someone said to me, like, would you ever go back to it? Because, you know, with the pandemic and stuff and being bored. And I was like, I love that job. It just pays so bad. It's terrible. I used to work as a TA as well, yeah. but I was in primary schools and worked with kids with um, learning differences. And yeah, it's incredibly rewarding, but it's so challenging. Mm-hmm. And so I found my energy levels by the end of the day, I was just so knackered. And the pay is so lousy it's so bad i mean i think school teachers i think obviously you know school teachers and nurses you know it the criminally underpaid you know when you when you're an actor and you, you, i was graduating everybody probably apart from my mum was probably thinking all right so you know what else are you going to do on the side and i was like hey I, I i like teaching and then i when i started being a teaching assistant i was like those guys are taking so much work home if you mm. think a, teach, a teacher works from 9:30 till 3:30 you're an idiot yeah. Because it's such a difficult job. It's so stressful. Rewarding, but I think that's I think they play on that. They they know the teachers want to do it, so they give them a lousy wage. It's so incredible that you went back to that role even though it was such a challenge for you going through the education system. Like it's pretty remarkable for anyone to go back into the environment that was quite toxic. Well, I, I also had rules. I was like, don't put me in year 11 because I was like, those <laughs> kids will probably be able to read better than I do. So I was like primary school. And yeah. then the, the year one and twos were just too little for me. Like I, I like to have a joke in the room and I was just like, they're too little to, to, get, to, my humor. to get my humour. Yeah, my, my jokes are wasted on these, <laughs> these kids. I need an audience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was terrified about doing anything with like six formers or the, the high school. I didn't want to be in those classes because I was like, I'm going to feel. <laughs> I worked in the nursery. <laughs> yeah, well. The... <laughs> that was they my... got your joke. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, they thought I was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, you are hilarious. <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about kind of the positives and the negatives of dyslexia. But if you had to kind of really hone in on maybe one or two things that you would describe as a positive for you and your relationship with dyslexia, what would they be? Definitely having an emotional intelligence, mm. being able to see, Definitely. read people's facial expressions. Like there's, lot, there's lots of times when I've been like, oh, they, they were about to cry. And my friends were like, what? And I was like, how are you not, not looking at that. their face? That they were like, they were so close to breaking mm. or... I'm very expressive as well. I think that's like, if, if somebody's telling me a nonsense story that is blatantly a lie, my face will tell you that I am not buying this story. I'll be like, what? No. Okay, dude. I, th- I think I've learned to express myself through physicality and let people know what I'm thinking through looks. And then, yeah, the emotional things and being having to think fast on my feet and come up with lies as to why I didn't do my homework. Oh, you know, I think that definitely helped. That definitely helped coming into storytelling 
and stuff, I feel like I'm a decent liar. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. And also, if you could describe one quality that got you to where you are today, what would it be? This is going to sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet because I, do. I don't even know what it is now I'm thinking about it. But I think I think charisma is like a really important skill that I wish you could go on classes of how to develop it because yeah. I think if you've got charisma, you can apply yourself practically to anything. But now when I'm saying charisma, I don't really know what I mean. Is It just means that you're likable, hmm. you're open to learning, you're listening. I don't, you know, it's obviously so many things crammed into one but I think that's a really important quality for people to have and it's something that even though I don't believe that I I have people have often said you're very charismatic and I was like I'm I'm not trying I'm just being me I think because people with dyslexia do go through so many difficulties the thing that we can depend on is is ourselves and the way that we present ourselves in situations and because I'm with you on that kind of reading a situation and reading people's faces and seeing deeper than face value, I guess. Yeah, there is a there is a real skill there and, and charisma does come into it. And I think you're very charismatic, so I'm you trying. should own that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But I don't I, yeah, I don't know if is if it's emotional empathy for other people. You know, I'm not I don't really judge people when they get things wrong. I'm not I don't, and I think that probably comes down to having a lifetime of getting it wrong or told mm. you've got it wrong. So when people get it wrong, I'm very much like, we're hey, human. Yeah, hey, you get it, you get things wrong, and it, that that's fine. And I'm not here to judge you, but also find the humour when I get it wrong. Like I was never embarrassed. You know, I think a lot of people, when things go wrong for them, they're like, oh my god, I feel like such an idiot. Whereas I'm like, if I got it wrong and somebody laughed, I'd be like, well, that was okay then because at least somebody had a good time mm. from it. And I don't care. I don't think laughing is necessary. Like, there is obviously, you don't know one like, you shouldn't laugh at people. But if you can laugh at people and then go, it's okay. Like, we can try this again. You're not an idiot. Mm. Yeah, we laughed. It was funny. You messed up. Like, I, I would find that a lot of the time when, when I was being a teaching assistant, some of my kids, would, they would say the wrong things. You know, when I wanted to be, I was quite a firm teacher. You know, only if I had to, you know, like come down and we had like deadlines and stuff. And I, I think I said to the kids, I was like, right, come on, guys. Like, we've got, we've got to get this work done. Do you think you're going to be able to get this work done by the end of the class? And one kid just goes, oh, it's 60-60 it's at the minute, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and I burst out laughing. And then he starts laughing. I was like, no, it's, it's not 60-60. It's, it's, you can only, it's got to round up to 100. But I love that you had a go. And everybody laughed about it and it was okay. And another kid, he, he was, we were looking for jobs that he thought he could do. And he, he had a, a global learning difficulty. And, you know, his, sadly, his, his, his career choices were, were limited. There was going to be only, only a certain amount of things that he, he could do because he was very, very vulnerable. As well, you know, and, and he was always getting like, harassed in the street. People, you could just spot that, oh, man. you know, he was, he was innocent. And, you know, in shops, like they would shortchange him and stuff like that. So oh, it would wow. often work on, you know, how to count his money back from a tenner if he'd spent, spent this. Because pe- it's awful, you know, people, but he was a target and people would go for him. Anyway, we, we were sat down and we were, we were talking about, you know, what he wanted to do. And he was like, well, I could be a cleaner. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I was like, yeah, you could. And I was like, are you tidy at home though? Is your, is your room neat and tidy? And he was like, my room is spickle spum, Mike. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, dude, I think you mean, 
mean spick and span, but I love that you got that wrong because <laughs> it's so beautiful and yeah. innocent. And we laughed about it. It was like, you got it wrong. It's fine. It's actually this and it's okay. Oh, humor is, you know, such a rich part of life, you know, and, and we just got to embrace where we're at. Yeah, what what advice would you give to younger kids with dyslexia? Or maybe what advice would you give to yourself as a young dyslexic hmm. if you could turn back the time? I, w- I was very lucky because I had my mum who was, you know, I was clearly flunking school and it wasn't going well and it was getting down to like, it was coming down to like career choices and your GCSEs and where are you going to go? And I just wasn't going to get the grades that I needed to get into into the colleges that I wanted to go to. But I always had my mum in my corner going like, it, it's all right, you'll figure it out. You are good at this. Like, just take the pressure off yourself. Mm. Time is is so much longer than you actually think it is. You've got so much more time to figure things out. Like, there's so much urgency in today's world, isn't there, to have it figured out when you're so young. So I think if I could look back, I'd just be like, just listen, don't worry about those classes that you're failing. Because turns out that you don't need algebra anyway in life so don't worry but maybe don't disrupt and ruin it for everybody else as well just be confident in whatever you do and work at the things that you are good at you know perfect what you what you can yeah just always be hopeful thank you for doing that work and for coming here and contributing to the podcast because it will make a difference to people and i just wish you the best of luck going forward in thank what i'm sure much. will was be very kind of you thank you a really rich career hopefully Fingers crossed. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Move Beyond Words podcast. For more information about this episode, please check out the links in the show notes or visit our website at movebeyondwords.co.uk. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. From as little as a pound, the price of seven bananas from Tesco's, you can join our network on Instagram, enjoy access to behind the scenes content and receive a Move Beyond Words welcome pack. To become a patron, please head over to patreon.com slash movebeyondwords or follow the link in the show notes. This podcast was produced by the Move Beyond Words team, Elizabeth Arifium, myself, Charlotte Edmonds, and Chris Bristow. It was recorded in Serendipity Studios, London, with graphic design by Alex Colhan and sound design and music by Chris Bristow and Tom Parker. <laughs>